Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. All right. Good afternoon. Well, hey, next week, next Sunday, uh, Reva is going to be preaching next Sunday. So she's not in the room today. She's probably in the bay, bay behind it. But make sure you come next week. She's going to be preaching. We're very excited about that and uh, looking forward to hearing what she has to bring. I already know what she's going to bring, but I'm excited to hear what she brings completely. So don't miss next week. Come next week. And if you don't know who Reaver is, she's the gal up here that leads our worship, leads our teams, and she is a brilliant leader. And we're just um, incredibly blessed that she decided to move across this great big old country to be with us. And she's a brilliant leader on so many levels. She has so much to give. But there's another part of her, and that's the teacher part of her. She is a great communicator, has a lot of stuff to give. So make sure you come next week. It's going to be beautiful to hear her share and uh, crack open her heart and share with you what's going on in her world. If you've been here for any length of time, um, I'm getting a kick out of studying space. And I have no idea when it's going to end because space is huge. So I might spend the rest of my life using this as a reference point. But it's a pretty fascinating topic because it's something God created, and I think it actually reveals a lot about him, and it helps us to understand our own existence and what's written into our hearts and into our souls and into our DNA. And I Googled something a few weeks ago. I said, how long does it take to get it from one end of the universe to the other end of the universe? And Google had an answer. It was amazing. No one's ever done it before, but Google somehow found an answer, and they said really smart people have calculated the current calculations. If you would have somehow had the ability to travel from one end of the universe to the other end of the universe, right now the calculations say it would be approximately over 200 trillion years traveling at the speed of light. This is in a massive space. I mean, this, is, this isn't just a solar system. This is a space that holds potentially billions of galaxies. I want you to imagine with me this room somehow is somehow the confinement of everything in the universe. Somehow every galaxy, every star that's being created or imploding, every black hole that is in existence is somehow defined in this room. What they're learning is that we're not actually staying in one spot in the universe, but the entire universe is moving somewhere. So everything within this room isn't just floating in this exact spot. The entire room is moving, which is the universe, and therefore everything within the universe is actually moving with the entirety of the universe. So this brings up a ton of questions for me. What's outside of the universe? We thought that was outer space. What's the outer, outer space? And where are we going? I have no idea. I have no idea. Are we heading toward the black hole? I don't know. And did the black hole put us into another dimension? No one really knows. But they do know that we're actually moving somewhere. 
And what's even more incredible, this earth is spinning approximately about a thousand miles per hour on its own axis. So gravity is holding us to this, this rock right now. If gravity didn't exist, they say we are vaporized. That the earth, if it was one mile closer to the sun, the temperature on earth would be about five to 10 degrees hotter than it is right now. We wouldn't exist. So the placement of earth within this massive expanse of space is perfect, but we're actually going somewhere. So written into the fabric, written into the very code, if you will, of the universe is movement and motion. Movement and motion. You may think we're just static in one spot, but actually everything is moving at an incredible speed. And it's not that the universe is just moving, it continues to expand. They can't figure out why certain galaxies are moving faster than other galaxies. So in written into the very essence of the universe is something that's moving and something that has motion. Let's take our physical selves right now for a second. Let's just unpack something. If your heart stopped moving, you no longer are alive. So even within the very existence of our human body is movement and motion. There are these little cool corridors in your body called vessels and veins. And the blood that is being pumped through these blood vessels is movement and motion. It's happening. So God thought the way things are alive is when there's movement and motion. The people that I run into that are stuck in life are usually the most depressed because we're actually designed to go somewhere. And when you feel like you're going nowhere, you're usually really discouraged and it compounds. And like it's built upon it, it's like more discouragement. And when you become aware of how discouraged you are, you get more discouraged. It's like this never ending loop. It's like, I need to turn this loop off because it continues to compound. Why? Because you and I are designed to go somewhere. Have you ever wondered why the Israelites in the Old Testament spent 40 years moving around in the wilderness? Why didn't they just stay in one spot? Why didn't they just camp out in one location? Because God knew they died. You see, written into the very fabric of who we are, our very existence and essence has to be moving somewhere or else we start to feel the ramifications of emptiness, of void. So when we look at the expanse of the universe, we have to understand that written into us is movement and motion. There's a movie called The Harry Truman Show. It's an older film. And it's an interesting film. It's the Jim Carrey. It's one of, his, one of his classics. I don't think it's one of his best, but I actually really like it. And it's about this baby that was born into a world, a perfect world. The houses are perfect. There is no not perfect painted home. Everything's manicured. Everybody looks dialed in and spot on. Everybody's nice. There's nothing out of place. You walk down the street and the dog barks when it's supposed to bark. The flowers are in perfect location. Nothing annoying, everything's perfect. And this baby grows up in this world. And that's all this baby knows. And this baby is Harry Truman. And, 
And the baby grows up and just gets older and older and then it get, becomes an adult. And something happens in the character. The character begins to go, why am I seeing the same thing in the same place at the same time every day? And all of a sudden, he starts to get curious, like, wait a second. This is scripted. This is feeling like I'm in a script. And as the days go by, he begins to test the script. And he begins to go off script. And all of a sudden, he begins to realize that he's actually in a world that someone's created. And he starts to lose his mind. He starts to panic. He starts to go, there's something deep inside of him reaching for something else. He can't get away from this perfectly laid out world. And the movie ends with Jim Carrey gets into a boat. And there's a body of water, this beautiful city surrounded by water. And he just gets in a boat and he paddled into the horizon. Just paddled, like, I got to get out of here. I cannot be here anymore. I'm stuck. And he paddled across this body of water and all of a sudden his boat hits a wall. And the wall is painted like clouds and horizon. He realizes he's hit the end of his known world. And he gets out of the boat and it's really shallow. It's not deep water at all. So imagine this experience of like my entire world actually has an end to it. And he gets out and he starts feeling the wall. He's trying to figure out, well, how do I get out of this thing? And he finds the door and he opens the door and he steps out and the movie ends. You see, sometimes one world ends and you step into another world. Some of us have moved into a new space recently. Some of us have changed our entire lives. Some of us have had situations happen in our life where one world has ended and now we're in a completely new world. And if we're not careful, we will actually bring old patterns that worked in the previous season and bring it into this new season. What we found works in this season, what fed you, what kept you alive, what made you sane, what made you feel like you had some sense of control of life, no longer works in the season, but if you don't let yourself embrace this new world, you will reproduce what you already know. Some of us are moving from freedom to greater measures of freedom. I love looking around this room on Sundays and when I see you throughout the weeks and some of you I can tell you are like on this fast track of becoming freer than you've ever been in your entire life. You can see it on your face, you can see it in your smile, you can see it in your eyes, you can see this sense of like, I didn't know this was real. I've read about it, I've heard about it, and I can see it all over you. So some of you are moving from freedom to greater measures of freedom. Some of you are moving from a prison of sorts to a lesser prison of sorts. You're like, I'm still in prison, but man, this one's way better than the last prison I was in. That's a good thing, by the way. I'm not even, I'm saying congratulations. The last prison was small, this one's luxurious. I got food here, I've got a TV in this one, I've got a bed, an actual functioning bed. And some of us, maybe you're not moving to more freedom, or you're not moving from a prison to a lesser prison. Maybe you're actually going in a direction you don't want to go. 
We have to understand that sometimes in order to move into the future, you have to leave one world to step into another world. So as we live a life of movement and motion, the story that you believe you're in will determine how you do life. As you're moving through life, no matter what direction you're going, the story that you believe you're in will determine how you live your life. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Open up your Bibles or your apps, whatever devices you have. And we're going to read this together. We're going to read, to be honest with you, it's one of my most favorite passages in all of the Bible. And I have a lot of favorites, but this one is up there. And the reason why it's up there, because to me it sums up the nature of God. It sums up heaven. It sums up the kingdom. It sums up the gospel. It sums up the intent of God in literally 10 verses. When some places in the Bible, you need books to unpack this. Well, in Ephesians, Paul, the brilliant leader, articulates this amazing passage in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now worked in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, say that with me, but God. Whenever you come across that phrase in Scripture, what it essentially is saying is everything you just read now becomes secondary. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Say it out with me, it is a gift of God. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, beforehand that we should walk in them. We'll stop right there. This is an incredibly loaded passage. You could spend an entire year just talking about these 10 verses. But for today, there's actually one section in this passage that I want to just pull out for the moment that we're in. And it said, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, before that, it said we were made alive and we were raised up and now we're seated. So if you can just imagine with me, somebody on the ground in front of us that's dead in sins and trespasses. They are not alive. They are not fully alive in God. And when Jesus came, rich in his mercy, died on the cross, rose from the grave, this person is now, was dead, but now is made alive again. But then God raises that person up. But then there's the third portion. He made us sit in the heavenly places. This is one of those passages that we love on our Christian t-shirts and our Christian bumper stickers and you know, it's the verse you put on the wall. Some of you even venture out to get it tattooed somewhere. But if we were to really look at this, this phrase, seated in heavenly places, it's, 
it doesn't fully make sense. It sounds very Christian. Like, yes, heavenly places. We all are just like, yep, uh-huh, nod our head. But if we were really to unpack it, like, what is going on here? What do you mean seated in heavenly places? Heavenly places. Some of you are like, I wish I was sitting in the heavenly places. It sounds like an amazing idea, but I actually don't know what that means. Some of you are like, oh yeah, that's where I live. I, I live there. I live in the heavenly places. And that's why you're completely unrelatable. And then we got the rest of us like, Craver, I don't know what it means entirely, but I believe it. I, I, I completely connect to it. But it's one of those verses like, yes, and what? What do you mean? See, I'm standing. Like, what do you mean I'm seated in heavenly places? Lord of the Rings is, uh, is one of my favorite stories ever written by a person. It's, there, there, there's not many stories better than Lord of the Rings. In fact, I'm getting ready to, to watch all of them again. Every year, couple years, I just sit and watch them all. It, it is one of the most powerful stories about humanity, about the bigger picture. It, you, just can't, you just can't get enough of it. But Lord of the Rings is, is a massive story about different people, different characters that think they've got their story figured out. There's multiple characters. They think their story is this big or they think their story is this. And as the story unfolds, each of these characters begin to realize the story they have purpose in is much bigger than the story they think they're in. Frodo. Frodo thinks he's gonna spend the rest of his life in the Shire. He is happy to be in the Shire. He's happy to just be a hobbit and to just do what hobbits do. He loved his hairy feet. He loved his small stature. He loved, he was proud of being a hobbit. He thought, this is my life. Until Gandalf showed up. And Gandalf said, Frodo, there is a bigger story and your destiny is in it. Do you not see that your story isn't this big in the Shire, it's something much greater and it has purpose and destiny in it. And there's this very sweet moment where Frodo finally says, okay, I'll do it. He had no idea what he was signing up for. He had no idea what was ahead, but he knew his story was bigger than the one he was living in. I, I can't help but wonder, when we give our life to God, some of us, we think our story is this big. We think we're just trying to make it. We're just trying to like, do something good in life, not realizing that God created this massive expanse called the universe. And it takes over 200 trillion years to travel across it at the speed of light. And we reduced our relationship to God down to just something small and doable. And God's like, guys, this whole thing is moving. It's moving at the speed of light. What do you think my plan is for you? You think your story's this big, the story is so much greater. So we have to ask the question, why is it so common for Jesus followers to settle for small stories? Why, why is it you have to get outside of the normal confines of Christianity to find big story? And people believe they're called to big stories. But yet when you step inside and you run into Christians and they just want to do good, they just, and that's good, but that's not all of it. 
There's a greater purpose to why you said yes to God. There's a greater purpose that when I give my life to him, he is introducing me to a universe that is expanding at the speed of light. He's introducing me to a purpose that is so impossible. And that's our destiny. So we have to ask the question, what is it? How do we get here? How do we get here as people that follow Jesus and we've settled for small stories? What I want to do, I want to talk about something that happened literally just over a couple hundred years ago. The story of Christianity, another phrase that we use in, in theology and philosophy when it comes to this is Christian worldview. The Christian worldview has actually changed dramatically since Jesus was here. When Jesus showed up, and for the first few hundred years after Jesus, the Christian worldview was rocking. It was happening. Thousands upon thousands of people were getting saved. The church was exploding across the Middle East and then it eventually touched all the parts of the world. So an amazing thing happened, but when you study the last several thousand, couple thousand years, you will see the Christian worldview got shrank and it swelled and it shrank and it swelled. Well, something happened about 200 years ago that caused it to shrink. And we're actually in the result of that shrinkage. In the 1800s, the fundamentals of the Christian faith were actually under attack by a group of German theologians. They were liberal theologians and they attacked the core tenets of the Christian faith. And here were some of their main points. This is what the German theologians said. They said people are not inherently sinful, but people are fundamentally good. They said the Bible is not God's word. It's just a book. They also said the bodily resurrection of Jesus didn't happen. The death and the resurrection on the cross didn't actually happen. It was just an illusion. It was just a symbolic story. Another major point that Jesus didn't really have to die on the cross for our sins. So as these theologians attacked the core tenet of the Christian faith, the, the people responded within that good godly people responded and said, this is not true. And they begin to lay out to defend the core tenets of our faith. And this is where we get fundamentalism from. Some of you are familiar with that phrase. A lot of the fundamentalist thinking and theology was derived just over a couple hundred years ago, and it was in response to very specific points. It wasn't meant to address the entirety of the Christian worldview. It was addressing the point that the liberal theologians were attacking. Now, I don't want to lose you, so hang with me, but fundamentalism produced what we now call Pentecostalism and evangelicalism, which is mainstream church in America in the Western context. Now, why is it a big deal? So work with me on this, because you only live to the story that you believe you're in. And what happened at the fundamentalism, they were focusing on just a portion of the story, but because it got so embraced, it became our entire story. And it was basically around the fall and the redemption. Genesis chapter three, where Adam and Eve sinned and where humanity fell and brokenness and sin entered into the equation. And then you fast forward to Jesus on the cross, which is redemption. That's not the whole story. That's half of the story. And a lot of us are living with only half the story. So our entire goal is just to get redeemed. 
The entirety of the gospel had been about, well, if you sin, get saved. If you sin, get saved. And most places across our Western context focused primarily on just get saved. You're in sin. Okay, I'm in sin. I'm going to get redeemed. I'm going to have Jesus in my life. And they say, all right, there it is. Put the period. You're done. So we spend our life living in the half of the story, not recognizing there's a much bigger story at play. We're like Frodo, happy in Shire, like, okay, this is it. Awesome. Thanks, Jesus. I mean, literally, thank you for saving my soul. And we spend our life just living in Shire, not recognizing there's Mordor out there that needs to be assaulted. There's a world outside of the Shire that God is focusing on and he's inviting you into it. So what's the whole story? Creation, Genesis chapter one. Fall, redemption, and then restoration. So we've got the middle part of the story down to, um, we've got it down. Everything within church and Western context, primarily, we've got the middle part of the story perfect. But we forgot about creation. We forgot about God creating beauty and good. We forgot about that. And we diminished all of that. And then we forgot about the fourth part of the story, restoration of all things. God is actually inviting us into a much larger story to be engaged outside of the Shire to see all things restored and redeemed, not just saved from hell, but to actually see heaven come to earth. And today I'm inviting you to recognize, leave this world and step into another world. Get in the boat and cross the lake and find the end of the horizon of a world that you thought was the entirety of your life and your story. But you have a destiny and a purpose outside of what you know. You have a much greater purpose in the story that God's writing. And he's waking up. He's waking us up to this realization. Wow, there's a story that's impossible without him. There's things that God is inviting me into. So we're moving from 1.0 to 2.0. We're moving from one world to a whole nother world. And what worked in this season will not work in the coming season. We are heading toward a wedding, not a divorce. And when you see the whole story, you recognize that your fallen condition is about our brokenness, but it's not our purpose. Our fallen condition, but it's not our created condition. We need to understand that we are created with purpose and intention. And we also have a future, one that involves restoration and redemption. It's a powerful moment when you're introduced to the whole story because you live differently. You live above the noise. One thing I've noticed about people that are aware, that are seated in heavenly places, is they've experienced life very differently. Instead of reacting, they respond. You know how to live in a secular world, but you know not to become secular. 
You aim to see the creative purpose of humanity by seeing redemption and restoration take place on a societal level and on a personal level. You begin to dream about souls being awakened, transformed, and to see reformation take place in society. You begin to think eternal. When you're seated in heavenly places, you have to understand, Paul's not saying someday you're going to sit in heaven. He's saying right now, as you're breathing the air in this environment, you are connected to heaven. So you're eternal and you're in the present. You carry a perspective that understands the past, embraces the present, which leads humanity to the future. I'm going to wrap it up in just a moment. The way we respond to life in this world is different. We have the same human experience as everyone, but you and I respond differently. Every time I've transitioned or stepped into a greater story in my life, it always had put pressure on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Every time I've transitioned and left one world and moved to another world, those things get tested. Those things get tested like no one's business. I thought I had joy down until I stepped into a new world. I mean, I got joy down. I can laugh on cue. Now I forgot how to laugh. Kindness. When you step into another world, into a world that you're unfamiliar with, your kindness gets tested. Because there's a lot of interesting people in this new world. Because in the Shire, everyone's kind. We figured out how to function and live. But when you step outside of the Shire, when you step into this new world, not everyone's the same. And all of a sudden, you don't want to be kind anymore. You don't want to be good anymore. You don't want to be self-control. I hate self-control. Self-control gets tested in this season and the ones I'm stepping into. Why did God challenge us in these areas in new season? Because he's creating masterpieces. He's creating humans that all of everything in the natural realm and in the spiritual dimension can look at and say, how is that even possible that Eric could be that kind in that context. He could be, have that much self-control in that context. See, God is creating masterpieces. He's in the business of creating beauty with you. So God's inviting you into a story that had a much bigger purpose than you've ever thought was possible. And he's creating masterpieces. And in the passage we just read, that in the ages to come, he might be able to show the exceeding riches of his grace. He wants to demonstrate that when you and I commit our life to him and his story, he puts us on a pedestal and all of existence said, this is what happens when my grace touches someone's life. This is what happens when someone says yes to me and they say yes to the story and the purposes I've set aside for them. They become a workmanship. They become a masterpiece. And everything in existence says this is wild. Why don't you stand?
Thanks for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.